Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey, everyone. I'm talking to Patty Harrison on the podcast. And it started and you didn't even know it. <laughs> hi. 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 How are you, Patty? I'm I'm okay. I I feel fine. Good. Um, this is like kind of this is the first time I've I think I've done like a morning early like I think this is like pretty formally the morning. Like Yeah, nine thirty. That's and in podcast world, that's pretty early. Are you working today? Do you have are you working on a on a show? Am I getting you out of a writer's room to do this? Um, n- no, I I have, you know, some scattered meetings over Zoom. And nice. that's kind of, that's kind of it. I have to go pick up uh, some prescription allergy medication at some point, And I Hot. have to go pick up shoes that I let Hot. someone borrow. So, Whoa. Yeah. It's Wait, you, someone borrowed your shoes and you have to go pick them up? Yeah. You need new friends. I'm going to tell that to them when I pick up my <laughs> shoes. And I'm going to, I have a little, I have a little gun and I'm uh-huh. going to put it in my waistband and I'm going to flash it. It won't be loaded and I'm not going to draw it, but I'll flash it. And then I'll be yep. like, I need new friends. And then I'll, yep. and then Just I'll pull, a, pull aside the, the smart vest that you're wearing. Look. Oh yeah. It's, it's my a, little friend. I love my LL Bean. It has, <laughs> yeah, my LL Bean vest. Um, they probably wait. have gun pockets at them now. LL Bean. I know it's it's yeah. it's they're they're changing with the times too. We're in an they active sure shooter are. culture. That you know there is you know a demographic, a sales demographic. People forget that active shooters still are a demographic of people that like to shop just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so LL Bean is a kind of one of the first companies that is recognizing that, which is really exciting. Right. Well, that's great. Good for you and your little gun. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Patty, where are you from? I am from Ohio. I'm from a town called Orient, Ohio, which is like maybe it's considered central Ohio, maybe 20 minutes from Columbus, which is the capital. Uh A lot of people know Columbus because of the international airport. Sure. Um, And middle Ohio is like... You think of Ohio as the north, but it's in many ways not, is it? Yeah, I always, when I look at a map, 
which I do uh, more more often than maybe I like call my mom. But I look <laughs> when I look at a map. Uh, one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I see Ohio. I've always seen Ohio as northeast, but. Mm-hmm. It's Midwest. Oh, it sure is. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Sorry if you're just learning this now. Like, if You're, you're from the Midwest. You have no choice. See, I'm from Illinois, so there's no, there's no way to even think I'm from anywhere other than the middle. Yeah. The middle. The compromised middle. The can't make up your mind middle. Wait, where in Illinois? A town called Yorkville, which is about 70 miles west of Chicago. Um, which might as well have been 200 miles from Chicago for as much as we, you know, took advantage of the major <laughs> metropolitan area. Yeah. We were terrified of Chicago outside of Bears games and um, Cubs games. Why, why terrified of Chicago? Well, I think um, because it was the big city and it was scary. And I'm sure a big part of it was because there it there were people that weren't white there mm-hmm. um, was probably a big deal um, to most of the people in my town. Um, but, yeah, no, it was just the city terrifies people from small towns, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I, Orient, I mean, wasn't everybody worried when you kind of decided that you were going to live in a city? Well, yeah. Our, my, I mean, my town, ta- the town that I grew up in was pretty conservative, almost yeah. all white. I remember seeing on the census one time that the like race breakdown on the census of, of our town. And it was like, it said like zero Asian people. And I was like, mm-hmm. is my family not on this census? <laughs> and I, we're probably like the only Asian people, but I was like, I feel like we should be uh, not, yeah. not a full zero. But I think like, we were on the outskirts of like this town called Grove City that was like a strip mall sort of town. You know, it had all the hits. It had uh, O'Charlie's, uh, Ruby Tuesday. No, not Ruby Tuesday. Um, what is Red Robin, um, Walmart, mm. GameStop. Uh, Chili's? No Chili's. No Chili's. No Chili's. Wow. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there was like, I think there was maybe a Chili's in Columbus, but there actually weren't, yeah. I think there's more Chili's maybe in Cincinnati, which is like, you know, the, that cultural Mecca for, for Chili on spaghetti. Um, <laughs> they could handle the spice of Chili's there. Well, I don't even know if it's really spicy. It, it's, it's more no, it about isn't. handling just like the full tilt shotgun blast diarrhea that you get lo- <laughs> like looking at the menu. Yeah. Well, that's why the menu's laminated because <laughs> of the diarrhea. <laughs> so you can sit on the toilet when you're going for like yep. seconds if you drop it. Or you're taking yep. a shit. You can, shit you know, all the airborne bacteria can just be wiped right off. Yeah. <laughs> that's the new diseases. The bacteria. Yeah. Oh, the new diseases. It's so hostile. The environment is ecologically like <laughs> so hostile that new diseases form at chilies all the time. I like. I say yeah. this as someone who likes chilies. Absolutely. No, Chili's is, uh, it's, it's reliable, um, terrible food. (laughs) Yeah. You don't, you really, you don't have to go to bat for Chili's. I was on another podcast recording today where I was talking also about Chili's. Really? Like a a. 6am podcast? About Chili's, their official podcast. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> Waking up with chili. <laughs> um, how many kids are in your family? Are you one of many? Uh, I am the youngest uh, sibling of six other siblings. Wow. Yeah. And there there is an age gap between... Like, I have a sister who's close in age to me. Um, she's a couple years older. And then there was an age gap to my next sibling, which was my brother. So I have two siblings that died. One was my brother, oh, wow. Johnny. And then I had a sister who died before I was born. Um, because, oh, wow. yeah, the, and like, the, I think there's an age gap of like 10, year, 10 years between my sister and my brother. And then I have three older siblings after that and then my oldest the technical oldest sibling is who died i see um and were you like the spoiled one probably even though that i would say i had a pretty emotionally rough uh childhood based on how like my siblings used to get treated when they were younger, when they were like my age at that time. It sounds like uh, things went a lot smoother, but I definitely, you know, I think my sisters spoiled me. I don't think my mom spoiled me, but I think like because I was like a couple years younger than my sister, my sister Charlene, during our childhood, like anytime, you know, and I don't think this is super unique maybe, but anytime there'd be a birthday party, she'd have a birthday party or something, or she got gifts. I would have to get gifts too, or I'd have like a meltdown. Uh, and wow. yeah, I cried. I cried over everything, which was really cool. Uh, a really cool choice I made. <laughs> I cried like when I was apart from my mom, I cried if there was like a toy at the store that I wanted and I couldn't get, which was every toy. Cause we were poor. So I was always crying, yeah. which I think is a fair reason to cry. As like a kid understanding yeah. poverty, I think that's actually pretty profound. Is that a, a poor a poor kid who has expensive taste, and that's like born to be super rich? Which I'm, you know, I'm I'm super rich now. I'm I'm making I'm making about nine hundred thousand dollars a day, um, working uh, wow. promoting chilies. Um, that's a yeah, lot of money. Working for Chili's has changed my life in, in an amazing way. Wow. Don't spend it all on potato skins. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, um, your, your, your mom is Vietnamese and your, and your dad is regular old yeah. white guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And was that, I mean, you said the town was very white, um, did you and your siblings like, like, did you fit in? Did you feel like some sort of like pushback against you or? It was like a strange, it's strange to explain in, because there's like a lot of feelings about it. Um, me, yeah, me and my siblings did get, you know, shit for being Asian, being like the only Asian people. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, I don't know. It was like, also, I think people in my family have a general good sense of humor. So, um, there were times in school where I was bullied. And then there were times, I think towards the end of school, I, I got pretty like 
popular in high school because I was like one of the few kids I was throwing parties. Um, and I was like a good, I was good at art and, um, I was good at art. Uh, and that's just good at art. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that thing that makes you the, the homecoming yeah, I, queen. I, I did like a 13 foot oil painting. Uh, and all, and then I just like, was like getting laid all the time and smoking big gravity bongs. Sure. Um, I, no, I, it, it was like, you know, not, I, not an ideal place to grow up. I don't think I realized how stressful things were until I like kind of went to college. And then when I went to therapy and then you, when you have tools, different like tools, I guess, like mentally, to then look back on your life and kind of assess moments. There are things that you've, that are so normalized to you. You don't process as like, you know, Oh, that wasn't great. Like that was bad or that was trauma. Like there are things, if you don't have the vocabulary for it, then it's like in the moment you're like, this is just the way things are like, um, but there were times in my life where I wish I had grown up somewhere else. When I first moved to New York, I had this like envy complex with like meeting people in New York because I was like embarrassed to like when I would say I'm from Ohio, people would be like, oh, like, Ohio, and I'd play along with it. I thought it was funny. Like, yeah, it's like Chipotle mayonnaise at best, at best. Um, (laughs) But because I was meeting all these people that it's like, you know, their parents were like movie producers or they've like lived in New York their whole life and like their parents are artists or something. And that seemed like such a such a divergence from what I had grown up with. But now when I look back on it, I'm like, I guess I feel a little more proud than like ashamed about it. So you're hearing me kind of like articulate this in real mm-hmm. time. Cause I guess I haven't uh, lockdown has been a very reflective time. I think for a lot of people or it's just me, I think actually. I really want to let everybody know that when you said reflective, you said it and the look on your face was like you were smelling something bad. Like reflection is like ew. Well, reflect reflection's fucking is nasty. Yeah, it's a nasty thing. It's perverted, kind of. But don't you get don't you get something out of it though? At the end, don't you feel like it's necessary, and don't you feel better for having you know? Yeah, if you're gay, gone through reflection. Uh, does your mom know you're gay? Uh, homo says what? Does your mom know you're gay, Andy? <laughs> Will you please keep it down? <laughs> Who's My gay? mom is in the next Who? room. Who's gay? <laughs> Are you what? Oh my god! If I was gay, my mom would <laughs> fucking throw a can parade. I, She'd be thrilled. Can, finally, finally, oh, I have well, my gay you know, son. Why don't you just give that gift to her? You know, the you can lie about it, and just that's the ultimate sacrifice that you make. <laughs> now you said that you started to get more popular in high school. Did that in any way encourage you to want to stay in Orient, or did you? Or you were like ready to get out of there? Did you go to college? I don't know. I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I think I always wanted to leave Orient for sure. Um, yeah. You know, I didn't realize I really wanted to pursue any sort of like comedy or performing until college. I went to OU, Ohio University in Athens. 
Uh, and mm-hmm. I started doing like improv the like end of my sophomore year. Uh, I, I think I can't, I can't remember. I was always, you know, trashed, uh, trying number one party school, Forbes, number one party school, 2013, 20, 2012, 20, maybe 2010. Who knows? We're all so fucked up back then. Who knew? Yeah. Gravity bong, gravity bong, like hanging, standing on this, on the roof of a car and a gravity bong coming through the sunroof. And, um, that was me, uh, graduation. <laughs> JK, I didn't graduate. I went to college for four years and I dropped out, which is really exciting. I did too. I I pulled up right at the end. I had two incompletes. I never got my degree. It, have they since tried to offer you an honorary degree? Have they done that? Have you taken it? They did not give me an honorary degree, but they did give me like an award as like a famous graduate, you know. When I told the guy, like, well, you know, I never graduated, he said, if we insisted that people graduate in order to give them awards, we'd never give out any awards because nobody ever graduates. It's Columbia College in Chicago, which is like an arts college. And I was in film school and people kind of drop in, they take a few classes and then they get a job and then they drop out, you know, so. Yeah. My college reached out to me uh, or my university reached out to me. Through, through Twitter and they were like their social media was like hey like we want to feature you on the front page of the university's like website as like a cool alumni or something and I was like so excited about it because it, it was like cathartic for me yeah. and I was like and it's in the Twitter you know a Twitter DM so I like messaged them back and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, that's so nice. Thank you. I would love to do it because I wanted to do like a little interview and like a photo shoot or something or, or like get photos yeah. for it. And I was like, I mean, I feel like I have to tell you that I did go to school. I went to OU for four years and then I dropped out and then they saw it. I saw that they saw it and they never messaged me back. Oh, come on. <sighs> yeah. So that's kind of one of the the biggest uh Regrets in my life is yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why they're called oh you. <laughs> you yeah. say like oh you I, be cool. That's why I went is because I I heard that and I was like that is so fun. <laughs> that is such a fun little like phrase to say. I really wish it was called <laughs> oh you. There be cool campus. But yeah, I'm happy with uh, with OU. But anyways, yeah, I didn't I didn't know that you um you didn't finish school, but. It's, no. kind of, it's kind of the coolest people I know don't finish school. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Fucking graduates are losers. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 
Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Well, I I'm I wonder, and I mean, and I don't, you know, if you don't want to answer, but I, you know, coming from a small town and getting in comedy is its own kind of mm-hmm. uphill battle, and being a trans person going through that is that intertwined together, like you're wanting to do comedy and and get out of that small town, or is kind of you you're you know, your identity, I don't know whether they call it gender identity or sex identity. Is that? Um, they call it your poo-poo pee-pee identity. They actually, <laughs> it's actually pee-pee. scientifically referred to as your poo-poo pee-pee identity, Andy. Your poo-poo pee-pee mm-hmm. identity. Well, that's good. Yes, thank you. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use it. If I'm ever talking in public and uh, mm-hmm. and the subject comes up, I'm going to say, well, you know, as it's called, the poo-poo pee-pee identity. Yeah, especially if you're addressing trans children and their parents. That's a great way. <laughs> Uh, your your little stupid poo poo pee pee identity is I think yeah what yeah they call yeah it. that thing. <laughs> um, was the question did me being trans inform me wanting to both do comedy and leave Ohio yeah did it ma- did it make it more difficult I mean was it all kind of part and parcel of the same like admitting that you want to do something that isn't that thing back there yeah I mean when I started doing comedy in college I like improv, I had not come out as trans. I didn't come out until like I quit school. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, it was definitely something that I always like wrestled with internally trying to like figure out what was going on. Cause I didn't necessarily have the full vocabulary and college was when, when I first met like my first trans people that and interacted with trans people. And I had a lot of internalized transphobia too. Like I wasn't like, you know, they're amazing. I was like, they're mentally ill freaks. Like I had that in my head, despite feeling the sense of like deep emotionally, like unsettling gender dysphoria that I didn't have the, the vocabulary to know what gender dysphoria was, but I was deeply unhappy and I was projecting a lot of, I think, jealousy weirdly, like seeing, it just felt threatening and bizarre. And um, so comedy was definitely felt like a way out in college. I was like, I'm going to move to New York or Chicago and make $10 billion a day doing improv. And that'll be sustain me for the rest of my life. Yeah. 
it Good really like, my imagination was like really stupid about it but <laughs> um i when i came out as trans it comedy made it scarier to come out as trans comedy I would think, yeah. was a was one of the big things that i thought a lot about when i was considering if i should come out or not because i was like I mean, there's uh, at the time too, it was like 2013, 2014, 2013. Um, the comedy landscape and the comedy that I was watching, I was like, you know, obsessed with like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia and South Park. And uh, like, I feel like the like formative shows comedically for me are like The Simpsons, South Park. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think like a lot of comedy at that time and just in general historically if trans people are mentioned it's uh, it's been as a joke. Yeah. And even the jokes that I was making were like transphobic in college and like um a lot of like internalized, you know, deflecting and self-hatred happening there, but like uh it it seemed embarrassing. I was like afraid to I felt sensitive and I felt like I was, I'm really sensitive to humiliation and I felt like I would be really embarrassed because I was about to, you know, go into a place, a, an environment where everyone thinks being trans is really funny. It's like a, it's like an embarrassing, funny thing to be. So like, if I'm going to be around comedians, I'm just like having to emotionally prepare to get like railed. Uh, and that was really scary. Um, and what, was a big source of friction against me coming out was this idea of like judgment. Um, and you know, like after I came out, I did come out. I went to a college improv festival at OSU because my friend, um, my friend Mitra, who's like my, one of my best friends now to this day. And like, she's a comedian too. Like, Mitra Juhari, is that mm -hmm. it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she, uh, we didn't go to the same college, but we met doing improv in college. She went to Ohio State and they were having their improv conference and she was like, you should come, like come, because I've been to the conference before, like when I was in my improv troupe in college and it was always really fun. So, yeah. Um, and my college improv troupe was performing there, but I was out of school at this point, but they like invited me to perform with them, mm -hmm. uh, which was so nice. But like, yeah, I remember sitting in the audience and there was this troupe of like these New York improvisers and it was all guys. And they did this like really transphobic, like the whole arc of their improv set, their like half hour long improv set was like transphobic. It was like all about like transitioning and detransitioning and like, like jacking off like and I remember sitting in the audience and like looking around and everyone was like dying laughing and like just like sitting quietly and like watching everyone and being like this is what I'm in for yeah. for like the if I want to do this this is what I'm in for for the rest of my life it felt I felt in those moments I felt like subhuman because you're in a room like full of people who mind you identify as like progressively minded mm -hmm. you know and they're all like taking this great joy in these jokes that are at the expense of the idea that you're like subhuman and that your core existence is a joke to them. Yeah. 
it just was really terrifying. But things have changed, like things have changed a lot. And to answer a part of that question about like, if being trans made it hard to do comedy, it did. Uh, It did at times. You know, I don't think being trans to, I guess, be really specific. I don't think being trans makes anything hard. I think being trans is like amazing, but it's like the the way people are conditioned is like what makes things shitty. But I will say that like, I think I was coming up in, in New York at a time and it's, I feel like it's still this way where there was like a turn happening in people's perceptions of like, you know, understanding about like transness and queerness. And it gave me like a unique point of view and it gave me maybe an edge that I think definitely has helped my career. So I feel really fortunate. I'm like mm-hmm. really, you know, happy that I I have, you know, a not, a not, despite being from Ohio, I have a not mayonnaise point of view. I have a POV in life experience that is like a little spicier than Chipotle mayonnaise. And that feels really cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you can say it's gotten better. I mean, having been someone that worked on a, t- a daily television show that put comedy on, I know there's jokes that we used to make that we wouldn't make, you know, we wouldn't make anymore. Like that's not funny anymore. I actually, and I actually, when I was, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I love working on that show and I love being a part of that show. But like there was a time when I was away from it and they used to do, they used to do bits that were kind of the punchline was that guy's gay. Yeah. And I, and, and I would watch it on TV cause I wasn't working on the show anymore. And I would kind of, I mean, to to blow smoke up my own ass, I would be like, I would have never let that happen. Um, <laughs> but but I but it was like I just kind of you know, and I talked to people about it at the time. I was like, like yeah, sure, you can have like the uh, a joke be about like a gay person that's like absolutely crazy and weird and whatever. But like, but the joke can't just be. Check out this guy and his love for the same sex. Huh? <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. And and it should, I mean, it did work that way. And it, that's crazy that it worked that way in retrospect. Yeah. I mean, to me now, to me, I think I'm reaching a point where I do think that is very funny. <laughs> I'm like, that's great. He's gay. That's really funny to me. Uh, so, oh boy, yeah. that's we're violating that post- God's law. Yeah, we're reaching a post homophobia. Yeah, I have become Christian uh, in lockdown, <laughs> so I'm like kind of understand all these jokes that I used to be like, that's so offensive, and now I'm actually like, hey, they're onto something. I feel yeah. bad. I got a great- lot of apologies to make. Um, like I said, a lot of the shows that felt comedies like that felt very formative for me were shows that had like super transphobic or like racist humor or like, yeah. and it's like, you know, uh, culturally uh, humor is absorbed from like our, our zeitgeist, like what's yeah. going on at the time. And, uh, and I know it's reflective of that. And so it's been like interesting to go back through the lens of like an out trans person 
uh, and look at these things. Like every time I go back and watch something nostalgically, there's like a tranny joke in it or something. And it's like, that's just something I have. I'm like prepared to see. Like I know that because it was like a different time, there's like everything that I love truly, like everything that I point to as like, pivotal references for me comedically have like trans jokes in them which they probably made me trans so that's on them and um hey you're laughing all the way to the bank the trans bank the chilies i'm chilies first trans uh correspondent (laughs) i'm a correspondent for chilies which means i go on the street whoa um yeah, and I report the news, and there's just it, there's it's not even about chilies. There's just the chilies watermark on the screen right, as right. I'm reporting, you know, a fire, uh, a Bunsen burner <laughs> fire. Um, this kills fire 50. brought to you by chilies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not like offended by when like TV shows of the past are like not on par with today's. Yeah, because they're of the past. Yeah. Yeah. But I actually, you know, maybe I should be more active about policing the past. Yeah. Maybe I'm not policing the past enough. Because I think we should go back further. Yeah. The Roaring, well, it, the roaring 40s or the, <laughs> the 30s? Is it, the is 1840s. It the, wait, is it the Roaring 20s? The Roaring 20s, yeah. Okay. It should have been the Roaring 40s and that's the first place I'm policing. But anyways, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Well, it is – it's also hard to – uh, you know, I mean, you you do at a certain point kind of give yourself over to comedy. You're like, okay, this is going to be what I do with my time and my creative energy. And I and I do believe this. Anything can be funny. You know, like at my grandmother's funeral, we were standing, you know, at her graveside, and somebody noticed that the next plot over was a combined family plot of two families. Mm-hmm. So just this big stone thing uh you know the big marker that marked the whole thing and it was the families were the good family and the eaten family so it said good eaten what <laughs> g-o-o-d-e and then slash e-a-t-o-n but it said you know said yeah. out loud it was good eaten and so everyone is standing around my grandmother's funeral laughing you know just because of the thought of cannibalism you know like in <laughs> yeah. the middle of my grandmother's so it is hard sometimes to think like oh every dark shit in the world and like and this is how i deal with it i i conquered my fears by making them something that i can laugh at or i can i conquer things that are horrible by laughing at them and saying like you're a punchline to a joke and then somewhere in there you, then you do have to like Realize, oh, yeah, but there are people's feelings and there are words you're going to use that are like hurtful to people. And, uh, you know, that either will matter to you or it won't. And you see the comedians that it doesn't matter to them and you see the comedians that it does. And, um, yeah, and like I, you said, everything's poo poo pee pee. Everything's poo poo pee pee. Everything's poo poo pee pee, but. You know, there's also sensitivity. I don't know if that makes well, any sense. No, it, it does. And I think what is uh what's kind of an in- interesting cultural conversation you know that we're we've been experiencing over the past few years and now and i think it's shifting a lot is um i think it's the way that comedy w- can work in a subversive way and you know i 
I've always found like dark comedy, you know, that's where I, those are the things that I think is funny. And it's like, well, and, and you're it's great at it. You do so much funny, funny stuff that is just terrible, terrible, naughty things. Thank you, Andy. Terrible. I love terrible. Uh, <laughs> I love to be terrible. I love to hurt people. I love especially hurting and manipulating people I love. Um, the closer you are to me, the more that I twist the knife and the more little cuts that I, I uh, slash you with my tiny little love knife. Um, yep. Comedy is the unexpected and that's unexpected. <laughs> yeah. I set up the expectation that like, the people that I bring in close, I'm like, I'm going to love you and be like kind to you. And no, 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 that's not what happens. Mm -mm. Uh, And that's the joke. Um, (laughs) I no, I feel like you're like, of course you're, you're never going to please everybody. Like there's always going to be someone that is offended by something, especially if you're like making jokes that are like subversive. Um, You know, I get, I get people who message me that are offended. Like, because I'm someone who's pretty outspoken about like transphobia and comedy and just because that's like my lens. That's like what I experience, And it is depressing when it happens. And it is more than just like, well, it's people be like, oh, it's a joke. That guy, like that comedian who's like a friend of mine who you have to see all the time, who makes the, you know, transphobic jokes. He may make transphobic jokes on stage, but he's actually a really nice guy in person. And it's yeah. like, it's not just a joke because he's using his platform to make a joke and the seed of the joke is that like, it's not like you can't, like you said, everything can be joked about. I think it's where the the target of the punchline is like what mm-hmm. the target of the punchline is. And I think people think like, you know, like you can't, you can't make jokes about rape anymore. You can't make jokes about this and that. And it's like, well, you you can do whatever you want. It's just what what the target of the joke is and what you're actually saying, what the core truth of the joke is. Because I think if you're talking about sexual assault, for for an example, like sexual assault and rape is a real fear that people live with. I think comedy helps people um, cope with stress 100%. I think a lot of comedians use comedy as like an expressive tool to work through things too. And like, it helps other people work through things. And I think you can make jokes about sensitive topics like a race and like transphobia and rape. And, but it's like, if the core of your joke is that like the seed of the joke is that it's funny to get raped or it's not that big of a deal to, you know, rape's not a big deal or something like that. Then it's, treads into like you're passing on in a kind of subconscious way this ideology these like ideas that are harmful to people yeah the stuff that pisses me off because i have people trying to police my jokes too like i have people that come in and are messaging me and they're like hey this joke was not a good look like try better next time hun and it'll be like a joke that i made about fucking a dog and i'm like wait, why is this, why are you offended by it? And they'll be like, because it's about fucking dogs and that's absolutely disgusting. And it's like, okay, well, you were disgusted by something you saw, a joke you saw online that's about me me fucking a dog, which isn't something that I'm actually doing. And I don't believe my joke is going to inspire anybody to like actually fuck dogs. I don't think jokes are right. And there's also like, there's a line where it's like, yeah, not everything is for you. Yeah. Not yeah. everything is for you. 
I think people think, you know, assume because I'm transgender and I am, you know, and I talk about how that intersects with being a comedian and advocating for people to feel like like they have safe access to the same thing as like non-marginalized people that people think I'm like way more eggshell. Like they have to be more eggshelly with me when they talk mm-hmm. about um, things that are like offensive in comedy and, and stuff like that because they think I'm going to get angry. Yeah. Like I think you even did it a little bit earlier when you brought up me being trans you were kind of like, uh, you know, you don't have to answer it. And it's like, that's nice. It's nice that you're sensitive to it. But I think like, I think a lot of, I guess this kind of tangent that I'm going on, I feel like there's a lot of stress that's built around this sensitivity that like social media, specifically Twitter and Instagram incite in people because Mm -hmm the overcorrection in the rage online is so is so much more like it seems so much more brutal than the actual consequences are in real life like because you just have so many people screaming at you and they'll say like the meanest things they can if they just because you're you to them you're like not a real person online you're just kind of this epitaph of like that they feel like they they can get a, a dopamine boost from dunking on you yeah. by being like you're stupid and I'm right and you're wrong and you're even though you're a famous comedian I'm like smarter than you or something like that like there's a lot of these other dynamics that actually have nothing to do with like no, the joke I, that you made at play I, yeah no I know and there's like you know the reason and the, and the reason that I'm sensitive to it is because I feel like asking you about being trans is includes a whole lot of really personal stuff, you know, like that, just that whole, the, the question of it, like there's, it, it's all, you know, it, it, it covers virtually every bit of your identity. And it's the same way that I would be sort of, you know, I, you know, I, when I, when some, when I'm talking to someone who's gay and I, you know, I like, I don't know if you want to talk about how coming out, you know, I don't know if you like, it's an intensely personal thing. It's, yeah. it'd be like, I, I mean, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but like if somebody were to just in, an, if I was doing somebody else's podcast and they were like, tell me about your divorce, I would be like, no, no, yeah. I'm not going to tell you about that because it, it's deeply personal and, you know, yeah. so that's the only, I mean, I just, you know, it, it is a fact of your life, but it is, but like I say, it also includes all kinds of stuff that I can only imagine, you know, how deeply personal and stuff. And I also know how fucking invasive people can be to trans people, like all the classic stupid questions that people ask. So, yeah. you know, I'm trying, well, but I do. Yeah, I it's do. nice. No, I'm saying it's like a good thing that you. Oh, thank you. But, but I do, and I, but I do hear you that there are people that like, like too much tiptoeing around it just causes its own problem because then you're like this special delicate creature that can't be treated like other people. Well, I think too, it's also what I feel like this is the, this like sensitivity that social media like Twitter has like conditioned people to feel is yeah. like, like this whispery, like, I'm afraid that I can't, like, talk about this thing because I can't say that I don't know this thing because, like, I'll get canceled for it or something like that. 
And I, I want to specify, I don't think social media as a concept is evil. Mm-mm. I think what it's turned into is like fundamentally bad for our society and our world as a whole, like yeah. because it has become like an advertising base more than anything else. It's like yeah. made to move products and like keep us online and um, agitate, a, like keeping us online means agitating us and like. Yeah. And using information as a product, as a commodity. Yeah. I think what scares me about Twitter is specifically is that Twitter is like, I think formally was a place where people came to either like see funny stuff or like get the news. Yeah. And so what that has kind of like combined into is this place where people are incentivized to dunk, like roast Mm -hmm. other people. Yep. And kind of like decon- a lot of decontextualizing is happening. Like people just like quote tweet you, decontextualize what you were talking about to like fit whatever narrative they have for you. Yeah. They want other people to think you're talking about. I, I've, I don't know. I, I just don't feel like it's doing the thing which I joined for, which is like, you know, getting to make jokes, getting yeah. to make stupid jokes. It's like in my tweets even, it's like there are people who are so specific that it's like they're searching for any reason in my tweets to decontextualize something I said to make it offensive. Like mm-hmm. it's like these people actively trying to find their power, yes. their sense of like power and agency through calling someone else out on something. And it's like, sure, when someone is doing something that is like remarkably egregious, like exhibiting some sort of like horrible behavior, call it out, sure. But it's like, if I make a joke about like me, like, sucking a dog's dick that is like you know offensive to dogs or something and i'm like what at this point like think about how you've unraveled (laughs) love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places well working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like t-mobile We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Well, let's get back on track to just, you know, what what's the big thing that kind of gets you from doing stand-up into kind of writing and 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 really making a living at this? I was just doing like character bits in New York on like random comedy shows, variety combination comedy shows and stuff like that. And my friend Sachi, I wasn't friends with her at the time. I didn't know her, but there was this website called seriously.tv, which was like this uh, comedy news site 
through Verizon and like complex. It was like, uh, they were hiring and she came to a show that I did at annoyance, um, at the annoyance theater, which is now closed in New York. And she saw my set and asked if I wanted to, uh, do like a test week at the, at the website, uh, at their office. And I said, yeah, as like a performer and a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it was the week of the election. That was like my first official comedy writing job. In 2016? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, like my second day was election day. So the first wow. day that I got there, we literally, you know, they had us making all these videos about like, now that we have like our first woman president, like, I don't think a lot of the comedy that was made there was amazing. It was a very specific environment. It was like a corporate news com. Also, they owned a conservative news channel too, like comedy website too. So it's like, we were the liberal comedy channel. And then they also oversaw this channel called Rated Red that would literally put out videos. Like, I am not making this up. I'm not exaggerating for a comedic effect. They had videos that would be like, top 10 guns of the week. And it would just be like a slideshow that would be like, Mach 10. And it would show like someone shooting like an Uzi. And it was just like, or submachine gun. It was just like, oh yeah, this is not great. <laughs> this is I'm all the money goes to the same place. Like all the money that we're making is going to the same place. But like at the time I was just like so broke and like it was yeah. really good money. It was like a very fun job because we were all stress bonding because everything had to go up uh kind of to get cleared by like our audience team and which is like this corporate this team of like these really gorgeous men they're like very beautiful i think they were all probably republican like wall street looking guys that yeah. would like be like yeah your your one video is performing very well and i'm like you know mouth watering like please like take all of my rights away great i will do anything <laughs> i will do anything for money mr uh mr oxford's and yeah. gingham blue gingham shirt um but yeah, that was my first official writing job. I think I was just trying to do comedy at that time to figure any... I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. I knew that maybe I wanted to like act or get to write or something, but there was no clear, like explicit goal at that time. It was just like, I'm just going to keep focusing on doing comedy until someone notices and go from there. And that was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and you've, cause you've worked on some really fun stuff, you know, you've worked on some really fun shows. I mean, I thank you. I feel really fortunate. Uh, I know that's like very cliche or like not inarticulate, but I think originally I moved to New York cause I wanted to do SNL. That was kind of the dream. That was yeah. like, I think a lot of people do that. It's like, yes, I was doing it. I think comedy. it's pretty common. Yeah. Everyone, like everyone in my college improv troupe was like, you know, doing improv. And then they were like, we're going to move to Chicago. And then we were all like, I was like, we're all going to move to Chicago together and like be an improv troupe. And then we're all going to get on SNL. And then like, that's like your college dream. And then they all, they all kind of did move to Chicago except for like one person moved to LA. Um, 
Sam, uh, if he, if he's listening, uh, he, <laughs> Hi, Sam. yeah, no, he, he is, a, I think uh, he would, he would enjoy it a lot to get his shout out. Um, he's an angel. Um, and tomorrow is his birthday, but by the time oh this comes God. out, it probably won't be his birthday. So happy belated birthday. Um, but yeah, I think by the time I got to the point where I was, I think able to possibly like showcase for SNL, there were like other realizations that had happened where I was like, Oh, this seems like it would be like a really stressful job. It seems like a stressful place to work. And it feels like I'm maybe not cut out to do, do that. And it doesn't have the things that like, I actually thought that I like the things that I want out of my, my job and my career. I don't think it would necessarily do those things. And, um, so that was kind of like a reorienting in terms of like, you know, okay, what am what else am I going to do? And I think I've gone, gotten a lot of cool opportunities by being like open to mm-hmm. like ideas, like having kind of the bullet points of a plan, but being really receptive and open to like change and opportunity and like knowing that, like, I think the more I try and have, like full control over something, the more stress I get because I have absolutely no control over anything at all. Yeah. I think you're, you're right on in terms of like, you know, when you have to give up the, the air quotes dream of SNL. Cause one thing I came that I came to realize as I get, you know, started out doing this stuff and is that it's so much better to make your, goal a process rather than a position because if you're you know if your goal is to like and my you know mine is kind of like well to just get better at things and to see where this goes you know and 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 that's and especially now you know it's only natural for you to have like the thought of like I'm going to get on SNL when you're a young person interested in doing this kind of comedy. If you're a stand up, I guess you think I want to get a half hour and then I want to get I don't know on a sitcom or something. But if you're a sketch performer, where what else is there but like kind of an SNL? Yeah. So it is like that's 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 what your goal is, but then it's also strange and there's stuff online and there's stuff in Yeah. You know, there's all these uh, you know, streaming services that, you it's know, changed so much. Absolutely. Which is why it's like, if you're entering this industry and you're making these goals that would technically on paper take you probably like five or six years to achieve and you're aimed at one thing, it seems like the skeleton of like comedy in terms of like the business of it has changed so rapidly, like so many times over the past couple years that like it, isn't emotionally good to invest in the idea of like, because I think what has been interesting is like watching the way that paywall services have affected the accessibility and the idea of getting like a 30 minute comedy special. It's like, that was like, I feel like such a huge deal. Like I remember watching like, you know, Comedy Central Presents as a kid or like Mm -hmm. watching Premium Blend or like all of these like Comedy Central shows that were like cut together. Like those people felt all like super successful, famous comedians who have made it. They're like on Comedy Central, their stand-up is there. That felt very aspirational and like a good goal to have. The way things are right now, there are so many different places 
and paywall services where your comedy can exist. It's like you have to be more selective at this time, but it's like also so many paywall services just like crash or they they uh, go out of business like after a short amount of time. Yeah, in five minutes. Yeah, yeah. it's like not necessarily a sustainable like model. And then you have to like, you know, think about selling your thing to something somewhere else. And I I feel like SNL really felt like, oh, if I want to do like character comedy, that's kind of the only option. It mm-hmm. seems like now like Netflix is like if if you have a special or something on Netflix, that's where people will the most people will see it if that's what you want. Um I don't really understand the business side of it. I don't really understand like the way that production companies or developers like gauge demand. But like, I feel like there were times when I was first going into meetings with TV development people that I really wanted to pitch a sketch show like that. I was like, yeah, that's like, I'm a comedian and I do a lot of character stuff. That would be fun. And everyone that I was meeting with, it was clear they wanted me to do like a, maybe like Louis or like master of none style. Like you're a trans comic. It's pretty close to your life. Like, and we're going to go over the struggles and it was something I really didn't want to do. And it's like, now it feels like everyone wants the sketch show. And it was such a short amount of time for that to happen. And, and I feel like that'll change. Like by the time this comes out, it'll probably be different. Absolutely. Um, we're getting, I've taken up enough of your time here. And uh, I guess what, what's next for you? What do you got? I, I saw you got a movie coming out. It, it, I, you acted in I a movie? I did. Um, I did. I said it as an accusation. You acted in well, a yeah, movie. Well, yeah, because it's it's a very a politically offensive um, porn film. Oh, no. Yeah. Nothing gets me off like political offensiveness. Yeah, it's called Thanks Obama for All the Nuts. And then it's kind of like <laughs> saying a lot. It's saying a lot. And then, yeah. Oh, wow. And it's six hours long. It's kind of an epic. Uh, it's The this, thought of a six-hour-long porno film is fucking hilarious. Well, it's meant to destroy people's <laughs> genitals. It's like just kind of like <laughs> – on on a to national turn it level, into pulp. yeah. Just turn everyone's <laughs> junk into pulp. <laughs> no, but it's uh, it's this movie that is written and directed by Nicole Beckwith, uh, called Together Together, and um, it's it's right now it's at Sundance, but it, yeah. so I don't know when like the actual release would be, but it's at some point I think. And the next year, it's like my first movie that I've ever done and or my first time experiencing Sundance, which this year, it's all digital. So that's yeah. this weekend. Wow. Yeah. Fun, fun, fun. Yeah. I mean, I wish there is a part of me that wishes I was experiencing it in person, weirdly. Right. I wish I was getting and- like the free, you know, Chase Sapphire um, tube top. Right. And wearing, wearing. Everything trimmed in fur. <laughs> yeah, the tube, the trim tube, fur trim tube top. Yeah, uh, and drinking, you know, mudslides on like a shuttle, uh, <laughs> like just blackout drunk at like eleven a.m. Like yep. just telling Rooney Mara all my trauma. 
waking up on a chairlift, going around and around. <laughs> and and I wake up and I have like an armful of screeners and I don't know what happened. <laughs> I'm like bleeding and I have all these like for your consideration envelopes. <sighs> that was good. I've made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you... Um, the the final question of the three questions, which you, I think you've answered the first two. I mean, I I'll have to check with the judges, but uh, but the third one is, what have you learned? And I mean, uh, so it's kind of you know, you, you can take whatever form you want, and it doesn't have to be. Certainly, it doesn't have to be about comedy. Uh, I have learned that. Um, I think you know, being open. Being flexible is, is, is an intrinsic good. I mean, flexible more than just like gymnastics. I know. Um, even though being on a gymnastics team also really changed my life uh, in, the po- in the negative. Uh, yeah. Uh, but no, I think like I've had a lot of opportunities that have come to me where like I think on paper they seem – tantalizing or like it's like a lot of money Mm -hmm. and but it creatively is un would be I know unfulfilling and I think that takes time to learn I think like you know sometimes you make decisions to support yourself and that's like completely valid and rock on like sometimes you take the the yeah you have to like support yourself and I think like get in where you can so that later on you can make the the more interesting emotionally rewarding creative choices, but also like, even though, for instance, that, that corporate comedy job, my first writing job, even though I didn't feel like I was getting to make like the best stuff that I could there for sure. Uh, I met like really, really cool people there. And when I look back on that experience, it's like one of the better work experiences that I've had, not because like the job was amazing, but because of the people that I got to work with and like I don't know like this movie that we shot is also it's like more of a drama like dramedy sort of and it's Mm -hmm. really earnest and it's not anything that I ever thought I would do and like um Nicole is like someone who's like super close uh to to my heart now and we talk Mm -hmm. a lot and that's been like kind of one of my most emotionally rewarding friendships that I've had in like a while. I I just never imagined like these opportunities being like what I would be doing. But Mm -hmm. I think, you know, being open and flexible to the, to the opportunities of like unexpected change can be positive. Um, and things, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think I've learned a lot Well, in this little, this little stinky fucking life. I don't, I think that's untrue. I've I've learned that most people are pussies and can't take a hit and that I can punch really hard. (laughs) I've learned that I can punch really hard, but I can kick quicker than I punch, but my kicks aren't as hard as I punch. So I in fights. I kick more. Um, but they do less damage. But when I, when I come in for that punch after I've kicked you enough and you're like, kind of like, whoa, in a, in a daze, you're, you're, I put a lot of people, I put a lot of people in the grave. Wow. I've killed a lot of people with a punch after a series of small kicks. You need to save this for when you get 
uh, your Kennedy Center honor. That needs to be your speech there. My Kennedy Center honorary degree? Yeah, yeah. No, when the Kennedy Center, when they give you like, you know, the or the Presidential Medal of Freedom, that's what you Well, know. I want the Presidential Medal of Freedom honorary degree from Presidential <laughs> Medal of Freedom College. <laughs> from PU, from the P- President's U. University. Yes. <laughs> well, Patty, thank you so much uh, for uh, saying yes to doing this podcast. I mean, you know. Yeah, thank you for asking me. All right. No problem. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week uh, with more of the three questions. Bye-bye. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It's produced by me, Kevin Bartelt, executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, associate produced by Jen Samples and Galit Sahayek, and engineered by Will Becton. And if you haven't already, make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. This has been... A Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.